0: in this year we've been talking about the kingdom of God and what that looks like and and, uh, what it it would be and, and what God wants that to be in our lives and in our city for the kingdom to expand beyond the boundaries that we've tried to place on it at times, uh, where we feel comfortable. We feel comfortable if the kingdom of God is is talked about or lived out here, but uh, it's sometimes uncomfortable when we understand that God wants the kingdom of God to to expand and to to bleed out into every area of life, that we carry the kingdom of God with us, and we are never without his kingdom. We are never without his rule and reign in our life, and that's a powerful, that's a good thing. So we, we talked about in the the gospels, how Jesus sent the disciples out to heal, how he sent them out to preach the kingdom, to heal the sick, the lame, the blind, to cast out evil spirits, to cleanse the lepers. And then he told them, tell the people in whatever city you're in. And he says, heal those who are in the city and cast out the evil spirits. And then he says, tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to you. And that's really what we've tried to focus on this in January, is is that thought and that, that powerful command to not only just uh, see the kingdom of God in, in, in a place where believers are gathered, but to uh, be sent out as disciples into the world, into uh, places that are sometimes dark and sometimes um, under the... Uh, almost always under the control of darkness and say, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So the kingdom of God is not just a message. The kingdom of God is a reality. The kingdom of God is, as Paul said, the kingdom is not a kingdom of words, but a kingdom of power. That means when we preach. The kingdom of God as Jesus preached. When we preach the kingdom of God as the apostles preached. That there's always a power that goes with it. That goes beyond just that's a good message. I hope that's true. So we've been going through Jesus' own words. Jesus, uh, because the kingdom of God is so big and so powerful and so expansive and so multi-dimensional. That the kingdom of God is not easily described in Webster's Dictionary. You can't just say, when someone says, what's the kingdom of God like? You can't just really quickly rattle off a couple sentences and fully capture it. So Jesus doesn't try. Not only does he demonstrate the kingdom, but all throughout his ministry, he would say things like, the kingdom of God is like this. And he would often paint a picture or tell a story. And he's not doing that because the people are dumb and illiterate, and he has to tell them stories for them to get it. He tells them a story, he paints a picture, because it's in those divine pictures that we begin to see that the kingdom of God is bigger than we thought it was, it's greater than we thought it was, and in those pictures, in those images, in those, these stories and parables, we grasp that the kingdom of God's got a lot of angles to it, but we want to be part of it, and so I think that God wants to capture our imagination again. And uh, we've, so we, we just said, well, let's go through all the times where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this, and let's talk about it. And my intention, because we started the year talking about the kingdom of God expanding, my intention was to start with Jesus saying the kingdom of God is like yeast, a little yeast in a lump of dough. And I wanted to talk about how the kingdom of God, a little bit of the kingdom gets in and spreads fast. That, that was where my heart was at. But as I began to pray about it, uh, you know, what really became clear was that before we talk about spreading the kingdom or preaching the kingdom or expanding the kingdom, we really need to fall in love with the kingdom. So we went back a couple weeks ago to when Jesus said in Matthew, the kingdom of God is like a treasure. The kingdom of God is like a treasure where a man found it in someone else's field. He found the treasure. He quickly reburied it. And it says, because of great, in, in, in great joy, he went and sold everything he had and bought that field so he could have that treasure. And what I really just, what really just stood out to me is that that man didn't go back and sell everything he had and cry over it. He didn't go back and sell everything he had and feel like he was being punished. It says, it says in an outpouring of joy. Because he was so excited about what he found. So many times, and I've said this plenty of times before, so forgive me for repeating myself, but many times we say, well, we got to count the cost of following Jesus. And amen, Jesus told us to count the cost. But the only way you're really going to count the cost is if you know the value. You, if you count the, you've got to count the value so that you can count the cost. Why are people not counting the cost? Because they don't know the value of, of the kingdom of God. They don't, they don't understand how great the salvation that we've been given. They don't understand how wonderful the kingdom that's been granted to us, that we have been called the children of God, how great the love of God is. So we think we're doing God a favor, Right? Oh, Lord, I guess I'll give you an extra day because, you know, you're king of kings and Lord of lords and I don't want to tick you off, so I guess I'll do something. You know, we, we, we treat everything we do like, like oh, you know, we, we're doing one more favor for God when we realize, look at what he's done for us. I mean, look at what he's done for us. And isn't it worth everything, everything in the world just for that treasure? Then Jesus goes on and he says, it's also like a merchant. Who finds a pearl of great price. And he once again goes and he, he, he trades everything else he has in for that pearl. Because that, perf, that pearl is worth more than everything else he has. We understand what God has prepared for us. The kingdom that he's given us. And that's, that's really what the scripture says. He, Jesus said, it is my father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So while the parable tells us that, that the man sold everything he had to buy the field, we understand that, that we, we give everything up for this, right? This is worth everything. And yet we could not purchase what God gave us. So just because you sold everything and, you, and you, I, saw, I gave everything up for you, Jesus, you're not buying what he's giving you. You never could afford it. This is a gift to you. So, I mean, that's exciting. So I want to just focus on another aspect. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago and and uh, we t- we just mentioned this verse, but I want to read it to you again in the book of Romans chapter 14. If you could turn there with me, I'd, I'd appreciate it because I want you to see this in your own Bible. And I just want to read one verse from this passage, which is rare, I know, for us to just pick one verse, but let's do it today and, and we'll forgive ourselves later. Romans 14, 17 says... For the kingdom of God, I'm sorry, I'm hearing pages turning. I knew where I was going. You didn't know until I said it, so I could forgive you for taking a second to get there. (laughs) Romans 14, 17 says, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not about what you eat or drink. Now, why is he having to say this? Because he's, he's addressing the fact that some of the more kosher members of the body of Christ are judging the Gentiles. They're judging them for what they're eating. They're, 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 they're saying, well, you, you aren't really keeping to the word of God or keeping to the law because you're eating pork or you're eating this or you're eating that or you're eating meat that might have been sacrificed to an idol or whatever. He says, let's not judge each other about what we eat or drink. For the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It's not about a ritual. It's not about what foods you avoid or what foods you partake in. It's not about that stuff. What is it about? It is, the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is righteousness. The kingdom of God is peace. And the kingdom of God is joy in the Holy Spirit. And if we were to be honest, we, always, we, we all want that in our life. Or we should want that. We're going to talk a little bit about righteousness, peace, and joy. And how to seek the kingdom And and seek these things, and know that these are these these are the promised things. These are the promised uh, elements of the kingdom of God. Where God has His rule and reign, you will find righteousness. You will find peace, and you will find joy in the Holy Spirit. Some of you, I I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm I'm not naming names because I don't know, but I know that for any given one of us, that that we might be okay with two or three of those, or familiar with two or three of those, one or two, I should say, but all. All three of those together, you know, some people are so... they're so strong in the area of righteousness and that's, that's what they cling to and that's what they hang on to and it's powerful and it's good but they've got no revelation of the joy of the Holy Spirit. So they're very serious all the time. They're very, they're very strict on some things but they haven't understood the life and the joy that carries you through that's only in the Holy Spirit. There are some people who have joy and, and, and in certain moments and certain mo- movements of God, they'll have a great uh, outpouring of joy but there's no consistent peace in their life. There are some people who are caught up and and excited about the fact that I can have peace and joy, but they really don't understand where righteousness comes into that. So we're gonna talk about that today. You know, today, January 27th, is uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day. And the reason it's Holocaust Remembrance Day is because this is the day that Auschwitz-Birkenau was liberated, uh, January 27th. It was liberated by the Soviet Union Army, the Red Army, as they marched through and and, uh, came very close to the, uh, as they pushed pushed back the Germans and came very close to Germany itself. And when you really study the concentration camps in in the 30s and 40s and and the concentration camps that were liberated in World War II, one of the things that, that I didn't realize when I was a kid, because When I was a kid, you know, World War II was painted as a bad guy and some good guys. Because that's the way we like everything to be, right? We like a bad guy and a good guy. We like things to be clear. And World War II, World War I was not so clear, right? It was a bunch of... Queen Victoria's grandkids fighting, you know? So it, you didn't, who's bad, who's good? Well, it depends. Should Germany have walked across Belgium without asking permission? It was stuff like that. But World War II, it was clear because we knew about the concentration camps when I was a kid. We knew about all this stuff. We knew about the Holocaust. So we said, Hitler was a bad guy. We had to fight Hitler. But you realize when, when, the, when our country joined the war, we didn't know that there were concentration camps. We didn't know about the Holocaust. I mean, we joined the war because he was a threat to Europe, but we didn't know about all this stuff. The Americans didn't join the war until Japan surprised bombed Pearl Harbor. There were a lot of people in North America that said, we should just stay over here. And it wasn't until, I mean, they had heard some rumors. They had heard some, they knew that the Jews were being oppressed, but uh, as much as we'd like to believe our country went to war to fight for Jews, they didn't. That wasn't their driving force. So we like to think it was a feel-good war of the century. It was bad guys and it was good guys. But at the time, it wasn't so clear-cut. And it wasn't. Some of those troops that marched through, whether they be allied troops, uh, I mean, whether they be American troops or British troops or Canadian troops or Soviet troops, they didn't know that they were about to come across a concentration camp until they came across it. There's a couple of stories of, of, of armies marching through the forest. Setting up camp as they had pushed the Nazis back. And men who were posted to the uh, guard duty and posted to uh, picket duty to, to be on the the fringes of where the army was. They came running back through the forest and said, you won't believe what we found. We don't know what we found. It's We don't understand it. And they brought their commanders back to show them these grand fences in the middle of the forest in which starved, malnourished Jews and other political prisoners had been treated horribly, starved within inches of life. And this was a shock. This was a shock to the troops when they first found this. They didn't know that this was happening. As they marched closer to Germany, then... The news about these camps got back to, uh, back to America, back to Canada, back to the commanders. Then they knew they were going to be liberating some of these camps. They didn't know what to do with the people, but they knew that, that we're going to be liberating some of these camps. And I think about this when I think about the kingdom of God. You might think it's crass to compare a concentration camp to the, kingdom of, to the domain of darkness. But I'll tell you the domain of darkness is, is more horrible than we've thought. You might say, oh, don't compare it to the Holocaust. The Holocaust was horrible. Yeah, think of what Satan's done to the world. It's horrible. It's horrible. And the kingdom of God, Jesus said, since John started preaching, the kingdom of God has been violently advancing. Like an army on the move, it's been advancing. And like an army on the move, you're going to come into contact with the other guys at some point. And kingdoms are going to clash and forces are going to clash. And in, 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 in a sense, it's like those troops coming upon a concentration camp in the middle of the woods. Where those people behind the fence didn't know that the Germans were pulling back. Until you know, maybe a couple days before. They didn't know that somebody was going to liberate them soon. Oh! they knew was they were in bondage. All they knew was that they, they were hanging on for dear life. They didn't know an army was coming to liberate them. And even that army didn't know that they were going to be liberating those people. And that's so much like us today. There are people that are under, under bondage of the enemy. And let me tell you, as horrible as it's been throughout history, when people do terrible things to other people, it's nothing compared to the eternal torment of hell itself. And we've been sent to liberate the captives. You see, I think that's what Jesus was referring to. He was referring, that, that's the kind of picture that, that is painted when he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. When I've seen those films of those people being being liberated and and somebody finally, you know, taking them out of of, uh, of those those huts that they've been living in, taking them out of the camps they've been living in, feeding them some food slowly so that they don't you you know, get sick. You know all of that, I think of what Jesus did as he marched through the enemy's territory in the land of darkness in the land of death and he began to preach release to the captives. People that didn't even know they were captives. People that didn't even know that there could be release found release in Christ. And here we are. Here we are. We can stay, we can stay here and hope that somebody hears about the gospel and comes to visit us. Or we can venture out into the forest. We can venture out and push the fringes of our front line and find those that are captured, find those that are behind the fence. When I think of the kingdom of God is righteousness, what does that mean to you? Well, the first thing we, we, obviously when we think of righteousness, we understand that, that there's something about us that, that, that talks about, you know, when I say the kingdom of God is righteousness, I understand that I've been made right with God by the blood of Jesus. I've been made right with him. I've been made right with God. So the kingdom of God is righteousness. Well, then I have righteousness with God. But it doesn't stop there. You realize that the scripture tells us that that righteousness is the scepter of his kingdom. So he rules by righteousness. Let's just paint a picture. When God created the planet, earth was not a cheap version of heaven. You know that, right? You know, Adam wasn't walking around the garden going, hey, this is great and all, but when can I come up there and be with you? I heard you have streets of gold. <laughs> These mountains are nice, but streets of gold, my goodness. How long do I have to stay? Adam wasn't wanting to go to heaven because God had created heaven on earth. This planet was, was as much as man was made in God's image, the planet was made in the likeness of heaven. It was beautiful. Everything was right. But when sin came into the world, what happened? A curse came on the world. Everything came, became broken. Uh, the whole planet just busted. And we're living in the results of a planet that's been living under the curse of sin for so long. The Bible says that all creation is groaning, waiting for our, re- our adoption, our redemption as sons, our revealing as sons. So I don't want to get too deep here. I don't want to leave you behind. But let's just talk about what it might look like for righteousness to, yes, thank God I'm righteous. But think about righteousness in creation. Think about God's righteousness. That's God's right way. That's things being brought back to the way they should be. How many times do you look around and go, things aren't the way they should be? Right? Things are not the way they should be. Well, righteousness is God's right way, the way things should be. And the Bible tells us that there'll be a day when Jesus returns and he takes his own. But there'll be a day when he sets up a kingdom here on earth. And he will rule with a rod of iron. And the lion will lay down with the lamb. And a kid could stick his hand in a snake's nest and not get bitten. He says all of this will happen when he rules and reigns on earth and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That kingdom's coming. But there is a kingdom right now that we carry with us. And Jesus said, he prayed this prayer and you know it is the Lord's prayer. Part of that prayer, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I've said this before, but you know, a lot of us, we just think heaven is just a great little cookie factory. It's just a fantasy factory for whatever we like. I like snow cones. Heaven is made of snow cones. Snow cones. I like teddy bears. Heaven has all the teddy bears in the world. We've, we've tried to create heaven in, a, in the image of what we think is great. But you know what makes heaven so wonderful? It's not that God just said, ah, I'm just going to take all the sugary stuff and, and, and make cotton candy clouds and, and marshmallow uh, uh, mountains and all of these things for you, and it's just going to be all the things you've dreamed of. No, the reason that heaven works and the reason that we long for heaven is because heaven is a place where God's will is always done, right? So that when God's will is always done, things work really well. That's why heaven is wonderful. God did not make discount, earth is not to discount heaven. It, it wasn't like, it wasn't like he saved all the best materials for, for his place. And for ours, he's like, yeah, I mean, I, had, I used up all the gold for my pavement. You're going to have to dig in the mountains for yours. You know, it's not like earth was just some little cheap dump that he put Adam in. Now, earth was beautiful. Earth still is beautiful. But can you imagine what it would be like before sin broke all the things it broke. So if Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What he's praying is that the righteousness of God would find its place on earth and it did through his ministry. We talk about peace. Scripture says that uh, uh, in Habakkuk Habakkuk 2, he says, of course, you know the part where it says record the vision and strive but on tablets. That the one who reads it may run. But he says this. He says, behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. But the righteous will live by his faith. I'm sorry, I'm still talking about righteousness. In John sixteen thirty three, you know this one. He says, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage, I've overcome the world. So what we think of when we think of God's kingdom on earth we know that God's kingdom means it's a place where the king is ruling, right? That's what makes the kingdom. And yet so many of us will often think that righteousness, peace, and joy exist in this weird little bubble where I, have, I feel righteous when things are going well and I've been living pretty good. Then I feel righteous and then I think all is right with the world. Well, if that's how your righteous, if your righteousness just exists in a nice little Christian bubble, that bubble will be popped pretty quickly. You think of peace, and you go, well, peace is a beach. Peace is a place where I have, I have no disturbance. I just have classical music, and I have my, um, my pineapple juice, and I, I have somebody fanning me with a palm frond, which is way less efficient than just, you know, getting an actual fan, but but somehow it feels better when someone's doing it. That's peace for me. Well, that peace will be popped as soon as your vacation's over. And I don't know about you, but usually that peace is popped in the middle of your vacation because, you know, things don't normally just go perfectly on vacation. He said, "With a joy, I have joy at church. When they sing that song, it brings me joy. I have joy when I listen to that. I have joy when this happens. And when, as long as your joy is attached to outward events, that joy is not the joy God promised you." So I want you to know that righteousness, peace, and joy, the kingdom of God is not a place that's fragile. The kingdom of God doesn't exist in a bubble. The kingdom of God is meant to be real in the real world. I can see righteousness when nothing is righteous around me. And that's back to that verse in Habakkuk where it says, the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. The scripture later says that, Those that are not living by faith, they shrink back. When things are difficult, they shrink back. But the righteous lives and presses forward by faith. So when stuff happens around you that's not righteous, your righteousness and the righteousness of God and the rule of God in your life is causing righteousness to be consistent. Righteous, his rule, his reign, his right way of doing things. That peace, as we just read, Jesus said that that peace is not something I'm promising you for when things are perfect. Although it'll be there when things are perfect, it's certainly going to be there when you have tribulation. It's going to be there when all around you is falling apart. My peace I leave with you. Notice that he says, in the world you have tribulation. But listen to to this. He doesn't say, with me you have peace. He says, in me you have peace. So you can be in the world and in Christ at the same time. That joy, think about how many times in the New Testament you see the word joy in the midst of things that should be robbing joy. We often talk about how Paul wrote the the letter to the Philippians. The one book in the Bible that talks about joy more than any other book is the book that's written in the dankest, darkest prison that Rome's got where people are dying all around him, he says, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He says, you know, he's talking about this great joy and the scripture says this in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. It says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? That they're receiving the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Tribulation can't steal joy from you. Tribulation can't steal peace from you. Tribulation can't steal righteousness from you. So I realize that when I'm seeking the kingdom of God, I'm looking for righteousness. I'm looking for peace. I'm looking for joy. Let's bring it back to just something very simple. The scripture says, seek first. Jesus said, seek first in Matthew 6, the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. What does it mean for you to seek his righteousness? Righteousness. What does it mean for you to seek his righteousness? You're looking for God's movement in the world. You're looking for God's way in the world. You're looking for God's rightness in the world. As much as you're confronted with the world being broken, you're looking for God. Seek the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I don't know about you, but when I'm seeking something, it takes up all my attention. It takes up all my thought, my energy. Our son was given a monkey, not a real one, a fake monkey, a little stuffed animal monkey. And he's wearing a shirt, and it's just the weirdest, like, he's one of those monkeys that the hands Velcro together, and he hangs from stuff. And his shirt says, just hanging around Chicago. (laughs) So it's just random, just hanging around Chicago. So when Moses came back with this monkey, I didn't know it would take over our lives. I didn't know it would take over our lives. Moses got so enamored with this monkey that now anything that ever mentions Chicago has his attention. He's obsessed with Chicago. He calls it Chicago monkey. And now I just found out last night that Chicago monkey has a Chicago family. Anytime we hear anything, I mean anything, you know, six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. There are a lot less degrees of separation to Chicago for everything. And I found that out. If we see, if I show hey, this is a show we used to watch when I was a kid. You see that guy? His name is Steve Urkel. Where's he from, Daddy? Oh, he's from Chicago. Chicago! <laughs> We watched a YouTube video where people are comparing the kinds of pizzas they like. Oh, New York pizza. Remember, Moses, when we had pizza in New York? Mmm, that was good. New Haven pizza. Oh, I like New Haven pizza. Oh, Chicago deep dish. Chicago deep dish, which is the worst kind of pizza, guys. (laughs) But he thinks it's the best just because it says Chicago. It's gone so far that when Chicago monkey talks to me, he calls me Shadaddy. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I'm not even joking. Shadaddy and we live in Minster. That's how bad it is. So our son, because he has uh, his, his mind is on Chicago, he sees Chicago everywhere. I didn't realize there's so many references to Chicago all around us. I wish I could hide them now, but they're everywhere. He sees Chicago everywhere. You know, so many times we're wondering, is God moving? Is his kingdom moving and working around us. But you you find when you become obsessed with the kingdom of God, you see it everywhere. When you're looking for it, you see it. When T and I were on our honeymoon, we were talking about what car we rented. We just rented a regular car, but we saw this blue convertible Mustang. So, oh, that'd be a nice car. But like two days into our trip, we noticed... Every other car on the road was a blue convertible Mustang. <laughs> it was weird. I don't know if they had a sale and just gave them away to the Hertz rental company or what. But everywhere we went, there were like three or four blue convertible Mustangs. We, th- we thanked God we didn't rent it because we'd never find our car in a parking lot. <laughs> and pretty soon, it was, it was like it hunted us down. Like we could not escape the blue convertible Mustangs. When, I bought, when we bought our GMC Acadia, our, our vehicle... Um, you know, it, was, it seemed unique when we had it. But you notice as soon as you buy a vehicle, you see that vehicle everywhere, right? Yes. You see that all of a sudden, everybody has this car, you know? You see it, you wave to the people, give them a nod, like, like there's a brotherhood on the highway. <laughs> like there's a club meeting after this. When the kingdom of God has your attention, you'll see it. You'll be looking for it. I think when we say seek this kingdom and his righteousness, God has revealed his righteousness from faith to faith. He has given you his righteousness. He has showed you what that looked like. And when you're seeking it, you find it everywhere. So when I'm saying seek the kingdom of God and it says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy... I think when you're obsessed with the kingdom of God, you'll find righteousness and peace and joy. And not only will you find it, you'll carry it everywhere you go. But the kingdom of God is not the kingdom of God without the king. So often in the scripture, the peace of God is tied to government. Scripture says in Isaiah chapter 9, And of his government of peace, His government and of peace, there will be no end. And to the increase of his government and the increase of his peace, there'll be no end. Jesus is called the prince of peace. What is a prince? It's someone who's ruling. A prince, a ruler of peace. Jesus said, he wept over the city and said, How I longed to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. How I wanted to guide your feet. How I wanted, no, I'm sorry. He said, how I wanted to show you the way of peace, but it's now been hidden in your eyes. You couldn't find the way of peace. There is a path of peace that I wanted to lead you in. Zechariah prophesied over John the Baptist. He said, this one, this savior that's going to come is going to guide our feet into the way of peace. He's not just going to tell us about peace. He's going to guide us into peace, which means if I want that peace, I have to learn that there is a good king who rules with righteousness, that when he's the king, there's peace. When his government is ruling, there's righteousness. When his government is ruling, there's joy. So what do we want in our life? First, before I talk about spreading the kingdom, before I talk about, you know, announcing the kingdom, let's just talk about having his kingdom ruling and reigning in our life. I've often used that example in Acts chapter 19 when the Bible says in Ephesus that the word of God was growing rapidly and it was winning in Ephesus. And we want that in Lloydminster. We want God's word to grow and to win in our city. But if the word has got to grow and win in our city, it's certainly got to grow and win in my own heart. Is the word growing in me? Is the kingdom of God ruling in my life? I want righteousness. I have his righteousness. As far as that standing with God, that's been settled through Jesus Christ. His blood has made me righteous. Not a thing I could do to earn that or Guild that, make it any prettier. It, my righteousness is completely in him. So my righteousness is not by my work, but by faith. But when you're righteous by faith, there's something that comes out of your life. Righteousness comes out of you because that's what's in you. Jesus said a good tree will produce good fruit. Have you ever wondered? Have you ever wondered how you could produce the kind of fruit Jesus is talking about? He doesn't say if you produce good fruit, you'll turn into that tree. He doesn't say if a, if a tree learns to grow an orange, then we'll, it'll be an orange tree. No, you already have to be what you are to produce that. So we had to be made righteous so that what comes out of our life would be righteous. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Philippians 4 tells us this on that subject of being obsessed with it, of seeking the kingdom. He says, finally, brothers... And this is in verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. You know when he says whatever is right, he's talking about righteousness. Whatever is right is God's version of right. And God's version of right is the right version, if that makes sense. I'm supposed to think about whatever is true. I'm supposed to... Put my mind on whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good reputation. If there is anything of excellence and anything worthy of praise, he says, dwell, stay, camp out on these things. And the things you've heard and learned and received in me and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I think this is a perfect image of seeking God and seeking the kingdom of God. This is a great practical example for you. Maybe today, when we started talking about it, you're like, well, that sounds great. And, and I, I've heard people say, seek first the kingdom of God. I've heard them say, seek his righteousness. But practically, how do I do that? I think Philippians 4, 8 lays it out pretty well. Start by thinking about it. Choose to think about it. Choose to meditate on it. Choose to see, you know, let God's word sink in you about it. If I'm, if I'm seeking righteousness, peace, and joy... If I'm seeking the things of the kingdom, I'm going to start by thinking about them, setting my mind on these things, li- dwelling on these things. You know, you have the right to choose what you're going to dwell on with your thoughts. I spoke with somebody, uh, you know, one of the speakers at the conference I was just at. Her father was a, a, a really famous uh, evangelist that, that moved, especially in the area of healing, and he had said. And she had said it again that we are meant to gaze gaze at the cross and glance at the things of the world. In other words, there's going to be things all around you that demand your attention, but you don't have to give your attention to everything. And while I might see for a moment this stuff's happening over here and this stuff's happening over here, I've got to choose to camp out my mind on the things that are good and the things that are true and the things that are right. Then he says, not only do that, not only think about them, but whatever you've learned, whatever you've received, whatever you've heard and whatever you've seen in me, practice these things. So when you're done thinking, put it into practice. What would it look like for me to practice the kingdom of God? We're not talking about practice like practice makes perfect practice. We're talking about put it into practice. Put it into practical. Live it out. Live out your life understanding that there's a king on his throne and my knee has bowed to that king. Practice these things and what's going to happen? The God of peace will be with you. So many of us, we're seeking righteousness, peace, and joy. We want those things so bad. We we wish somebody could just put their hand on us and pray for us, and we'd have it all. The good news is nobody has to pray for you to have these things. You already have access to it. It's all in the kingdom. It's not something someone can impart to you. It's not something you can get by a good book. It's not something you can buy. It's not something that someone else who has it can just teach you and say, well, just uh, try your best and you'll get it. No, this is purely a fruit of the kingdom of God. So when the king's on his throne and the king's ruling and reigning in my life, I'll have righteousness, peace, and joy in all these things. And I want that to be like Chicago Monkey. I want to be so obsessed <laughs> with righteousness, peace, and joy that I see God at work around me. I see his righteousness. See, see it's a wonderful thing when a, when a child of God can look at something unrighteous and see what it would look like when it's made righteous. Do you know what I'm saying? Everybody can say that's not right. Anybody can say something broken and how many of you love when someone comes to your house and tells you something's broken but doesn't tell you how to fix it <laughs> Anybody can tell that's broken it's not right it's something's wrong but 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 what do we need we don't need someone to tell us it's wrong we need someone who knows what it would be what it would look like if it was right And if I know what it looks like when it's right how do I get there How do I get from here to there The kingdom of God the children of God we have been given his righteousness so we can demonstrate his righteousness so that we can say that when the king's on the throne things that are broken are made right things that were cursed are made, are redeemed and brought back things that are messed up become cleaned up things that don't look good now look like him And yeah, there's a kingdom coming where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. There's a day coming when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But right here in this broken planet, we've been sent out to liberate camps and say, that's not right. And the king, there's a new rule here. The army of darkness has been pushed back. It's time for liberation. It's time to carry that. You won't spread what you don't believe. The most powerful proponents of the gospel are not the great preachers. They're not always the greatest communicators. They're not always the the most influential people in our culture. But the most powerful proponents and spreaders of the gospel of Jesus Christ are the people that believe it with all their heart and rejoice in it. The gospel means good news. Until we believe it's good news, why would we spread it? We might spread it out of obligation. We might spread it for an extra star on our Christian chart. But if you really want to see someone who's effective at ministering the gospel, I'll show you someone who believes it and is in love with it. When I'm thinking about spreading the kingdom, I say, God, would you reveal your righteousness, peace, and joy to me so that I may desire to see that in every area of my life that I would desire to see that in my city, that I would desire it for my family, that I would desire it, yes, Lord, even in my own heart. I'd become so obsessed with it that I would not walk around the world saying, God left, but I'd walk around this planet saying, God is on the move, God is at work. And I see it, I see his elements here. I see his fingerprints, I see what he's doing and I'm a part of it. See, faith is seeing what's not there yet. And righteousness, peace, and joy in the real world means righteousness where it looks like all unrighteousness is, is having its way. Peace looks like all chaos is broken loose and yet you have peace and you're, you're not br- ripped out of your peace. Joy, when everybody else is trying to steal your joy and, and everything that you, they think brings you happiness and peace and light, you still have joy. You still are able to rejoice. That's the kingdom showing. That's the kingdom at work proving that it's an unshakable kingdom. The Bible says that every, everything else in the world will be shaken except for his kingdom. Nothing can steal your righteousness. Nothing can steal your peace. And nothing can steal your joy. Let's stay in the kingdom. Amen. amen. Stand with me. Let's pray.